The Grinch hated Christmas, the whole Christmas season. Now please ask us why, we will tell you the reason. Greetings, dear listeners, from us to your ears. This is the show Jim Carrey doesn't want you to hear. Welcome to a very, very special Christmas episode of Monkeys and Playbills. I'm Jillian Willems. I'm Paul DeGurse. This is the show where we examine shows that had runs of 100 performances or fewer on Broadway, not counting previews, and examine what went wrong. Now this one's a little bit different. This is. This is a very special Christmas special episode. So this uh, production we are going to be talking about today is... How the Grinch Stole Christmas. It's actually called Dr. Seuss's The Grinch Musical! Exclamation mark, according to NBC. Now before you all get on your keyboards and send us grumpy emails about, Oh, wait a minute. This wasn't on Broadway. This didn't close after under 100 performances. Absolutely it did. For two years, The Grinch was a Christmas special on Broadway, running for only a couple of months. So it has been on Broadway, and on one of its runs, runs on Broadway, it ran under 100 performances. Correct. Technically, we're allowed to do this. So there. And also, it's our podcast, <laughs> so we get to decide. <laughs> also, it's our podcast. <laughs> what to bend the rules for. So we're actually not even going to talk that much about <laughs> the, um, the Broadway show, but we're going to talk about the recent television adaptation of the Broadway show that, um, that aired on NBC this past Wednesday. Oh, we are going to talk about that. Yes, we are. So if you are a person who watched that production along with us, I can't wait for you to hear what we have to say. And that's it. Okay. Absolutely. I'm, <laughs> I'm so excited. We're going to try to keep this um, a similar format to how we've done this podcast in the past, in that we're going to go through each individual element of the show, discussing it element by element. Um, typically, we would discuss why this show ran under 100 performances on Broadway, but this time we're going to discuss why everyone on the internet is so grumpy about this production. And maybe the Grinch really did steal Christmas. <laughs> it seems like since this past Wednesday, everyone is grumpy about how this production went. Mm -hmm. Typically, when these when these NBC Live musicals air, people are like, oh, this was great, and this was goofy, and this was fantastic, and this was terrible. I'm not sure anyone liked this. Yeah, I I have yet to find a, a an endorsement of this production. Right? I don't know, guys. I think I could have watched this at least a hundred times. I don't know about you. <laughs> it feels like I did watch it a hundred <laughs> times. <laughs> Should we get into it? Yes. Here we go. How the Grinch Stole Christmas the Musical live previewed never it opened uh on nbc on december 9th 2020 it closed december 9th 2020 after one performance and it's one too many and it was all pre-taped over two days at the troubadour theater in london there we go <laughs> i just needed to make it seem like it was a regular show <laughs> that's very that's extremely funny um this is a, a game we love to play on this podcast is Jill has a plot synopsis mm -hmm. for the show in front of her, mm -hmm. and I try to, from memory, describe the plot as I understood it. Yep, and I'd love for you to do that now. So, I'm very familiar with the um, the original Grinch cartoon. Mm -hmm. 1966. I'm very familiar with the Jim Carrey movie. 2000? But I'm going to try to remove my knowledge of both of those and make this 
approached this as if this was the first time I had ever seen the Grinch story. <laughs> oh, well, the God. only experience I have with the Grinch, Ugh. as far as this plot synopsis goes, is this mm-hmm. show. So, there are Who's. They like Christmas. Mm-hmm. That's all we know about them. Full stop. Yes. I think every Who down in Whoville likes Christmas a lot. <laughs> but there's this guy, this Grinch, and he's got a dog. Mm-hmm. And the dog is a significant part of the story. I'm surprised this show is not called Max the Dog and how his owner didn't like Christmas because we get a lot about the dog, about the dog's life, the dog's history. So much so there's usually two versions of the dog on stage. You've got an old version of the dog and a young version of the dog. And the dog's owner is the Grinch, who is a green person. Yes. Who is not very funny and very grumpy all the time Mm -hmm. and looks an awful lot like Mr. Shoe from Glee. Yeah, a lot. Oddly so. And he doesn't, oh, what is it? He gets grumpy because... He, um, because some of the Who's try to say, we love you, friend. They try to put a sign out so he could see from his hideaway, we love you, friend. Mm -hmm. But the R falls off and it says, we love you, fiend. (laughs) And this makes him so mad that he sneaks into a department store in disguise (laughs) and doesn't do anything. Just, just hangs out for like a long time. I think he steals fabric, doesn't he? He steals fabric from a department store. Fabric and fur. Makes himself a Santa costume and then goes around stealing the Christmas presents from people's houses. But then the little girl who did the we love you fiend, love you friend thing, meets him and tells him that she loves him. Mm-hmm. And that makes his heart grow three sizes that day. And he decides I'm going to return all the presents. No, that's not, that doesn't do anything. That's right. He doesn't care that she said that. But then he hears that the Who's are okay with having Christmas with no presents. They are, even though they appear to be very materialistic, they really do have the spirit of Christmas. So then he brings all the presents back and he gets to be part of Christmas after all. And he gets to carve the roast beast. Yep, but he's, um, he's not happy about that. I don't know if we ever see that, actually. I think we saw that at the end. I think we did. <laughs> I, I was just so checked out, I think, at that point. I'm sorry. Okay, so do, do you have an actual synopsis of this? I do, yeah. And okay, so yours was a pretty good one. Yep. It wasn't actually all that far off from the musical. Great. I really had to search for a synopsis of the the musical version. Yeah. Because they all just sort of say based on the book by Dr. Seuss, right? So they don't feel the need to go into detail. Totally. In the real world, this is a very well-known story. Yeah, totally. So this one I found directly from NBC. So I took it off of their Dr. Seuss page or their um, Grinch page. Fantastic. It says, Dr. Seuss's famous book tells the story of a reclusive Grinch who plotted from his cave atop snowy Mount Crumpet to steal Christmas from the Who's in Whoville. Then, on Christmas Eve, disguised as Santa Claus and enlisting his loyal dog Max as reindeer, the Grinch traveled to Whoville to scoop up the Who's gifts and decorations. But, much to his surprise, on Christmas morning, the Who's were unfazed and celebrated the holiday with a heartwarming display of joy and love. And that is not at all the production we saw on Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) No, it is not. So they barely, in this synopsis, talk about Max as the narrator. Which is very surprising because he is an enormous part of this entire show. Massive. I would say the first lead above the Grinch. Yep, I would agree. They don't in that synopsis talk about Cindy Lou Who, who is a pretty significant part of every telling of the story, including this. 
Yes, absolutely. The other thing that they say in this synopsis is that the Who's were unfazed. Right. But they weren't in this musical. Like, they have a full reaction song. As as well they should, because someone broke into all their houses. (laughs) And stole everything except a crumb that was even too tiny for a mouse. (laughs) Like, to be honest, if I was them, I would be more concerned about the fact that there has been a massive breaking and entering case all over our town. A burglary of the entire (laughs) town. Yeah. (laughs) I don't care that it's Christmas or not. This is very unsafe. Exactly. Okay, great. So that's the synopsis. synopsis. This is a kind of an interesting little production. More than anything, I would say that this adaptation of The Grinch as a musical is interesting in how much life it's gotten. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. So, music by Mel Marvin. Book by Timothy Mason. Lyrics by Timothy Mason. Additional music and lyrics by Albert Hegg and Dr. Seuss. Additional script material slash the television adaptation by Simon Nye. Orchestrations by Michael Starobin. That's part of the whole show. Incidental music and vocal arrangements by Joshua Rosenblum. And dance music arrangements by David Crane. It's a fascinating show. As I was saying, fascinating in the amount of life that it's gotten, where it was um, created for... Um, a 2006 Broadway special mm-hmm. by a team that included um, included Mel Marvin, this composer. And since then, it's had three holiday runs at freaking Madison Square Garden, 19 <laughs> consecutive sold-out seasons at the Old Globe Theater in San Diego. <sighs> goes out on a national tour each year, yep. has special productions all over the country. This is possibly the most successful show we will ever cover on this podcast. <laughs> Absolutely one of the most successful shows to have never existed on Broadway for over 100 performances. Wow. Yeah, people cannot get enough of the Grinch. I wonder why. Like, what? What's the draw? Well, I think that original, um, the um, the TV special, the cartoon one, is mm-hmm. very, very good and very well loved. Correct. I think that's the that's the big thing. I think the Jim Carrey movie was pretty popular as well. I I've actually never seen it. Have you? I was. My next question was <laughs> going to be, do you like it? But you've never seen it. I've never seen any version of the Grinch other than the original. What? And this uh, Wednesday production. <laughs> Isn't there also one that came out in 2018 where um, where Benedict Cumberbatch is the Grinch? I didn't even know that that was a thing until Daphne said, we are not even going to acknowledge that version. And we still won't. And we still won't. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's bad? Because it's no good? Um, apparently it follows in that same tradition of like, um, the, like the Horton Hears a Who adaptation and the Lorax adaptation where it's like, it's a bloated version of the original story that doesn't really seem to get what made the original story so popular. Right. right. Yes. Okay. So I think that should bring us very well into our next section where we're going to talk about the various elements of this production, including how on earth do you turn a whatever 20 page children's book. It's actually 72 pages. Thank you very much. That became beloved 20 minute Christmas special mm-hmm. into a two hour holiday spectacular musical. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the book. Now, when we say the book, we're not talking about the original Dr. Seuss book. Yeah, we already know that's good. That's good. That's great. <laughs> Love Dr. Seuss. Hilarious. Very cute. The end. The end. <laughs> Nothing more to say. Thank you very much. We would like to discuss Timothy Mason's book. Oh, yes. That is to say his script for this musical. Yeah. What is there to say about this book, Jillian Willems? Okay, so the f- the first few things we need to point out are that, as you mentioned before, it's a, you know, 25-minute cartoon, right? 
animated absolutely uh, Christmas special originally. And how do you turn that into a 90-minute musical? So it is bloated, as some critics would call it. Yep. As in they have to really flesh it out in a way that is not super necessary for the show <laughs> for the for the original book i would say flesh it out in a flesh it out in a way that doesn't actually add anything to the characters though mm-hmm. yep yes at no point do we gain a much deeper understanding of any of the characters through the fleshing out process except max oh we get <laughs> Okay, let's go back on this in other adaptations of this. Or I guess in the original book, Max is literally just a drawing. Yes. Do they even mention his name? Maybe once, I think. And then he's a cute cartoon dog. Yeah. Um, who does like cute um, physical comedy in the cartoon. Exactly. And then in the Jim Carrey, he's a real dog and it's very cute. Oh. And it's still a relatively small role. Yeah, because dogs can be really, really temperamental actors. So you have to keep their roles really, really <laughs> short. Unless they're golden retrievers and then you can have a full Airbud series about them. Unfortunately, Buddy from Airbud was not available for the Grinch movie, so they had to get yeah. a different dog. It's a really small role. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so they've they've made this Max, the dog character, a central figure who exists in three different timelines. Yes. All, the whole story is being told by old Max the dog, mm -hmm. who's played by humans. They're all played by humans. Who's talking about his time as medium Max the dog, <laughs> working for the Grinch when he tried to steal Christmas. But also we get a flashback to young Max the dog as a kid. Yes, that's right. We do. In a musical number. It's very Fun Home-esque, I would say. Yeah. I would never have thought to compare the two musicals. Like maybe ever. Maybe it's where Fun Home got the idea. Yeah. Oh, good point. <laughs> How the Fun Home stole intellectual property. <laughs> Alison Bechtel went to see The Grinch on Broadway in 2006. And something clicked. And something clicked. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this whole story is is essentially from Max's perspective. Yes. And I think it could have been so funny if he was like writing a memoir and that was like his narration, but he was just sitting in a chair, right? And telling us the story of the Grinch. As it oh, stands, what do you gosh. think of the way they use this, um, this device, this convention of Max the old dog telling the story? I mean, someone has to tell the story because in my mind, it needs to be narrated. Yeah. Because the, the original is and the way the book is written it makes the most sense. Absolutely. I just, I just don't know if it should have been Max. It's a very bizarre convention. I don't, I don't see how it helps anything. <laughs> and also there's something kind of off-putting about the human acting like a dog. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't like it. It made me feel weird. I think what was really off-putting to me was the human being on all fours all the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, the charm of a dog on stage is that it's it's a human and we're all like, yes, it's a human being because yep. you're you want to believe the thoughts of the dog. But yeah. if a human is on all fours just pretending to be a dog. I'm inclined to agree because especially you think of at some points in time the two maxes exist in the same timeline. They're both old max and medium max dance together with the Grinch. <laughs> Because I can't, I can't highlight this enough. This is a crazy fever dream of a show. Oh, God. <laughs> and they dance on their, on their hind legs. They do. And that's on their, on their hinders. <laughs> and that's pretty good. Yeah, it's impressive. That didn't bother me. <laughs> For a dog. 
<laughs> I mean, I think we can both agree that maybe we just don't like Max being such a central character in the telling of this story. It just doesn't make sense to me. Max is cute if it's like some kind of a goofy comic relief thing. Mm -hmm. I'm not a huge fan of Max being the central character here. Yes. So that's like the first big difference in the script versus the story. In keeping with the original, with the original Dr. Seuss, mm -hmm. virtually all the dialogue in this script is in rhyme, is in Dr. Seuss style of verse. Well, it's in an attempted rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, this is a true story. I didn't notice it was all in rhyme until about halfway through. I didn't either. And I went like, oh, it's back in, it's back in rhyme. Turns out it was in rhyme all along. <sighs> oh God. <laughs> and that's how you know that it's just not properly written verse. So why doesn't that work? Jillian Willems, <laughs> the original story is in rhyme. Yeah. The original cartoon is all in Dr. Seuss's original verse. Yep. And it is so charming. Why doesn't it work to just write more rhyme? So Dr. Seuss is sort of in a class of his own, right? In terms of that style of writing and especially in children's books. My favorite thing about children's theater is when it's done correctly, it's written for all ages. And I think what happened in this adaptation is that the core parts of Dr. Seuss verse that we love are there, but then Timothy Mason, and I believe we, we should also um, credit Simon Nye for this TV adaptation, yep. because I think he added a few things. Yep. And I really think they were kind of like not sure how to keep the essence of this is a family production. Like they put in some like fart and poop jokes oh, and they yeah. put in like social distancing jokes. And I'm like, no, the point of Dr. Seuss is that it is what it is. And why are we winking and nodding about this? I'd like to, I'd like to point out that I'm usually a huge fan of fart jokes, poop jokes, butt jokes. <laughs> oh yeah. You love butts. Yeah. But that was too much for me. That was, I was like, that's tasteless. Oh, I know. Come on now. Exactly. And it, it has to be a pretty tasteless fart joke for me to think it's tasteless. Ugh. <laughs> 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 uh. Not even that could cheer me up. Not even that could make my heart grow three sizes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Anyway, that's my hot take on why, like, adding to this, you know, verse doesn't work, in my opinion. And I think that's a, a pretty accurate summation of why the book in general doesn't work. It's trying to take this magic of Dr. Seuss and expand on it in all the wrong ways. Mm-hmm. Rather yeah. than keeping this, um, you know, Dr. Seuss keeps things short, he keeps things general, and his writing is very concise. The rhymes are very concise. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the time he ends up making up words to rhyme, and those words are always very charming. Yes, and I love that. Absolutely. This book manages to somehow ignore all of that. Yep. And do the opposite of everything. <laughs> it's like if, as if you describe to aliens, this is how to write a Dr. Seuss story. And without fully understanding the nuance, they were like, all right, it has to have rhymes. And it's for kids, so they like farts and butts. Yeah. <laughs> so on that note, let's grade this. Okay. Out of 10 playbills, how many monkeys are you giving the script? I'm giving the script three monkeys out of 10 playbills. Hmm. All right. What about you? I was going to give it a two and a half, but you also have to add a lot of points for the original 
Dr. Seuss book because there's some of that in there. Yes, and it just shines. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So maybe we can land somewhere uh, around a four. Oh, that's too high. I can't do that. Is it? Okay, I fine. feel weird I'll about land that. at a four. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sticking hard on my three. I feel weird about anything okay. other than that. Okay, that's okay. We can disagree by one monkey. <laughs> I feel especially cautious about these ratings because I know our listeners will have watched this too or will have the opportunity to watch this after. Mm-hmm. And so I feel very, um, very committed to them. <laughs> I would love for our listeners actually to send us a DM of their ratings for this Absolutely. specifically. Because I know we had a few folks watching along with us, which we'll talk about a little later. Absolutely, we will. Should we get into the music? If we have to. Music by Broadway's uncle, Mel Marvin. <laughs> Does that joke get funnier the more I say it? Or is it worse it, every time? It gets funnier to me. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yes, it does. The power of repetition. Just gotta keep saying it. If you do it three times as funny, then five times as funny, then seven times as funny. Oh, I thought comedy was just threes. No, comedy is odd numbers. Eleven times. Eleven (laughs) times. So Mel Marvin. Paul, do you know anything about Mel Marvin? I don't know anything about Mel Marvin, so I did some research. Cool. Mel Marvin has written a ton. He's had an enormous career. Seems like a cool career. Um, he teaches at uh, Tisch, NYU Tisch. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah. Um, and he has a very extensive bio on their website that I was able to uh, take a look at. A lot of scores for regional theater musicals across the United States. A lot of scoring for plays. Mm-hmm. Nothing that anyone but the most hardcore Broadway fans would recognize. Got it. But, you know... Seems like a cool guy. He sure worked a lot. Great. I'm sure he's nice. I'm sure we'd get along if he wants to come on the podcast. Um, I'm sorry for what we're about to say about your score. Yeah. Sorry, Mel. But here we go. <laughs> I hate this score. Yeah, you get you get going. Just like the book, where it is so obvious when we've skipped into Dr. Seuss's actual verse, as opposed to the stuff that was composed by someone else, it is so obvious when we are skipping into music that was composed for the original beloved television special yes so that's specifically the um the who's uh, christmas carol the fahu foray fahu dore fahu foray fahu dore exactly or the very famous um you're a mean one mr grinch Mm -hmm. and even they jump into the breakaway pop hit from the 2000 uh year 2000 jim carrey movie where are you christmas oh that's where that's from okay that's where that's from and that even still sticks out like a sore thumb because man the music the rest of the music is tuneless mm-hmm. it's bizarre it's like it's like a stephen sondheim b-side you know what i mean it's like his very the very first thing he wrote like when he was like 15 or whatever yeah it's like all the parts that make Stephen sondheim inaccessible the weird time signatures the mm-hmm. atonality without any of the stuff that makes Stephen sondheim brilliant yeah the beautiful melodies and the melding of pop with atonality and weird time signatures yes totally and it just again and again one of my first notes was i hate christmas which is the grinch's first song is clearly by Stephen sondheim because <laughs> it's this weird <laughs> Christmas, Christmas, I hate it a lot. Christmas, Christmas. Um, And then it just keeps on going. I couldn't hum a single song for you. Oh, God. That's not from the original TV show. 
I was going to say I might be able to fake sing one of a kind, but no, I don't think I could even do that. Do you remember that one? We're one of a kind. Not at all. (laughs) It's it's like the Grinch's big showstopper, but it really wasn't a showstopper in this production, but apparently in other productions it is. Like it's like a a torch song, if you will. We're going to get to Mr. Mr. Morrison. Yes. So I want to bring up something that I read on the USA Today review of the NBC uh, production. Mm-hmm. It's uh, This review was written by Kelly Lawler. And Kelly Lawler writes... Friend of the podcast, Kelly Lawler. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the quote is... The score mixes in the classic music from the 1966 special with an original score, which serves only to emphasize how wonderful the original music is and how truly awful the new stuff is. Absolutely. And yeah, I agree completely. It just, it just doesn't make sense. Also, Kelly Lawler wrote this one, which I really love because this sort of sums up my feelings about it. Quote, there is simply not enough to this story to justify the runtime of this musical or either major motion picture, and so extraneous uh, narratives and songs are added. A song about consumerism that undercuts the theme of the book that Christmas isn't about the trimmings? Sure. Ham-handed dialogue forced into a rhyming scheme a first grader would be embarrassed by? So awesome, possum. <laughs> I agree. I agree completely. Why on earth... What, why was there a pull to make this 90 minutes? Especially if it's a family show. Ugh, yes. Let it run an hour. Let it run 45 minutes. It'll be very charming. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, maybe it would work better if some of these songs were a little more tuneful. Yes. I can't imagine any kid having fun listening to this music. <laughs> Not even the, like, the annoying kid song about how they're just, like, singing about the toys that they got. I'm pretty sure they would be, like, yelling on the way home. I hated, hated, hated that song. Oh, the bad... The bad Matilda song. Except Matilda has some really nice melodies in it. That's true. I'm feeling conflicted about this book and this music. Like, I'm just, I can't take it all in. I think that's fair as well. And maybe it would be fair for us to reserve judgment a little bit, as I'm speaking so strongly about this, to reserve judgment (laughs) a little bit for seeing it in person and experiencing it in person. Mm -hmm. And through the eyes of a child, too. I always love children's theater because of that. When they giggle at things and shout at the actors and that you can't really get that (laughs) from our kitchen tables when I'm the one shouting. Yeah. Also, uh, Michael Strobin's orchestrations are great. They're beautiful. Yeah. I really enjoyed that aspect. Absolutely. Dance arrangements were really nice. I agree. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So out of 10 playbills, how many monkeys are you giving the music and lyrics? Three for Mel Marvin's. Add one for the really nice songs from the um, from the original TV show, and add one for Michael Strobin's orchestrations. So we're coming in at a five. Okay, I can be on board with that. There you go. That's a fair. That's a fair ranking. See, we're not a, we're not Grinches. We're not that mean. <laughs> Good job. Yay! Should we talk about this creative team? I would love to. This production was directed for television by Julia Knowles. Uh, The stage direction itself was done by Max Webster. Music direction by Richard John. And choreography by Lizzie Gee. And then I'm sure there were like 800 assistants. And it's worth noting as well, we're not going to talk about the TV direction for this. Mm -hmm. Really, we're going to be, when we talk about direction, we're going to be examining the stage direction. Because this was filmed live on stage. Yes. 
So the only thing I will say about the the TV, like the film direction, is that Julia Knowles, I think, was actually a very appropriate choice. And when you look at her resume, she's directed a lot of TV, a lot of um, TV specials, and a lot of concerts. So she's done like the X Factor UK, and then she did like a Bette Midler one night only, and a Neil Diamond one night only, and you know, like just has a, I think, an understanding of how to direct for that type of production. So for like the event, the event production. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I think she was a wise choice. Also, she has a degree in, in medieval studies, which I thought was really funny. Oh, that's rad. Good for her. What a cool thing to study. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting you say that because one of the things that frustrates me most about this production and this production team is this doesn't feel like a big enough event. Mm. Maybe I'd also hyped it up in my head too much because I was like, let's go Christmas special in the year of COVID. We're going to do it. We're going to see yeah. like live theater has been all but canceled, but we're bringing it back and we're bringing it back with the Grinch. Weird choice, but let's pull out <laughs> all the stops. And well, we'll get into what what happened. What can we blame specifically on the direction? So the stage direction uh, was by Max Webster, who I, I looked uh, him up quite young. Well, youngish, you know, I would guess like late 30s, maybe even early 40s. Uh, works a lot at the Old Vic. Like not a veteran. No, certainly not. But but has done adaptations of, I think it was the Lorax for the stage. Oh, great. And he also does some Shakespeare stuff. And I think someone wrote in an article that it was like amazing to them that he did both Shakespeare and Dr. Seuss. But I was like, they're the same. Like, I don't. So do you want to talk about Max Webster's work at all? Like, what can I say? Um, you know, Jill, I'm not sure I I'm not sure I can because I think I'm a little unclear on what the role of the director would be in mm-hmm. this kind of big old production other than like a giant overseeing vision. Right. <laughs> I think he, he certainly didn't bring much humanity to the characters or help them plumb any kind of emotional depths. Mm-hmm. My understanding of this production... Um, because I've watched a few other of NBC Live's productions. Yeah. And they all have like an audience. Yes. And an audience that's really enthusiastic. Totally. So that's also a scene partner that we are missing in this one. Mm-hmm. So already that's kind of stacked against you in, in terms of this format of a musical. They shot this live version <laughs> over the course of two days. Great, sure. I don't know. Do you think they pre-recorded the vocals? Because I didn't see a microphone on a single one. And on the wide shots, I didn't see a single boom. So I'm, I don't know. What do you think? I'm not sure. The reason I'm inclined to say they didn't was because it seems like they balance on the verge of a train wreck during Where Are You Christmas? Like the cast. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah, my yeah, yeah. instinct. But also if they filmed it over two days and it wasn't <laughs> actually just a live broadcast, why didn't they go back on it? Right, right. Okay. So I don't know. That's an enormous mystery to me. My inclination is no, because I know for past NBC Live productions, they did not pre-record the vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, they were very, um, very proud of that fact. And so I'm, I'm inclined to say no, they didn't for this as well. As far as why there are no mics, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe they're hidden really well. I don't know either. But all this to say, my understanding of Max Webster's role as director would be similar to any musical theater director. So I think 
he would have been responsible for the actual staging of the whole thing. And then Julian Knowles would come in and say, oh, this is the angle we should capture. And oh, can we tweak this? So the Grinch is staring right into our souls. Like those kinds of collaborative decisions from Julian Knowles. So I think we should maybe work off of Max Webster's. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, what he showed us because I think he's the one responsible for the staging. What's interesting to me is that I'm looking at the credits right now for the NBC production. What I'm not seeing is anything marked as like an editing credit. Mm. I'm not seeing whose immediate responsibility it would have been to be like, okay, and now we change to this camera angle or this is where Mm -hmm. we put like, so I feel like between Julia Knowles and I would say Simon Nye, that's probably where we would have figured out where the commercial cuts go. Right. Which are in some weird spots, as we kind of have been talking about. (laughs) Yeah. The biggest one, the most egregious one, is where the sleigh, the giant sleigh full of presents, is at the top of Mount Crumpet, and then we cut to commercial, and then we get back, and it's down, and everything's fine, and all the presents are on the ground. And Max the dog is like, everything's cool, reminiscing. And we're like, okay, cool, so I guess we're just not going to talk about how the sleigh got down. That's that's fine. That's fine. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So that's, that's like a, that's a continuity thing. Absolutely. That would probably, you're right, fall to the editing. Okay, so Max Webster is a fine director, I'm sure. But I just feel like being restricted to a soundstage with like, you know, six set pieces and children everywhere, like, there's not much to be done. I think, and I think as a director as well, you kind of have to take the, something goes wrong in another department, to a certain extent, you kind of have to take some of that blame, mm-hmm. and some of that brunt, Ugh, yeah. as the um, as the head honcho. So I think this production is not very fun to watch, and I think that falls just as much on Mac Webster's shoulders as anyone else's. Mm-hmm. Yep, I can agree with that. <sighs> so Lizzie Gee is... Um... A very busy choreographer. Really? Yeah, really busy. Great. So she's based in London. She works for the Old Vic, the Young Vic. Oh, that wasn't a joke. Mm-hmm. That's a real place. I didn't know that was a theater. <laughs> <laughs> she does not work for Arvik, though. Let it be known. But not Arvik. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so she does a ton of work. She did... Uh, a production like she does plays she does musicals yeah um she does a little bit of short film but it doesn't seem that she's really kind of like broken into a ton of commercial work but yeah 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 she seems very busy and that's lizzie gee so what do you think about her choreo paul i do not like it (laughs) why i'm not a choreographer i don't know much about dance other than what i've picked up from my very intelligent very skilled dance friends but this choreo left at best left the stage feeling empty and at worst felt like we were just trying to figure out ways to move bodies from one point to another. Yes. If we want this whole thing to be an event, to be a big television special, and you have to assume they have a fair amount of resources at their disposal. Yes. There was no flash, no pizzazz, no no levels? Am I crazy? Nope, you I want to see someone getting friggin' lifted up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, let's <laughs> lift someone in the air. Let's, I don't know, let's fly someone. Let's yeah. throw someone. They were just all on the ground and like once in a while, one person would flip. I wrote down like some of these kids have tricks. Yes. Because like someone would do a back handspring or something once in a while. Yeah. 
But one back handspring does not a nice choreographic statement make. <laughs> Maybe four at the same time, you know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> I. <laughs> What's your much more educated thought? No, I think you're definitely onto something. I think there were no levels. I think there wasn't even, like, it just didn't seem like they consulted her at all in terms of what she might want or need for the staging. Like, I feel like yeah. they presented with her with the set pieces and they were like, okay, but you can only use these stairs to nowhere in the closing number. So just make them stand there and then yeah. make sure most of your staging is just in lines. Like there wasn't, no one was ever like spread out. It was always like, oh, let's just be in like windows and like two rows. Yep. Like it just was all super simple in terms of formations. And I like a little more texture in that way. I like surprises. I like people jumping out of places. You have you know? to assume like if this was a children's theater production of The Grinch or whatever the case may be, maybe we could, um, we could talk and that would have worked really well. But this is NBC Live. Mm -hmm. Like, we have to assume yeah. that you had the resources at your disposal to hire five super tricksters. Exactly. You know what I mean? To really fill out the dance numbers. Mm -hmm. Missing from this whole thing was a sense of grandeur and a sense of we pulled out some stops. Mm -hmm. I understand you can't pull out all the stops right now, but there's a few more stops they could have pulled out, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I agree. The other thing that was interesting in terms of a choreographic choice was that I got the impression that uh, Lizzie Gee had watched like a production of Babes in Toyland or something. <laughs> so all of the <laughs> so all of the who's moved sort of like in a robotic and tantrum-y way. It was a little bit weird. I've got that all the who's are, I'm glad you brought this up, all the who's are butts and hips. Yeah, like isolations and yeah. like elbows, like so many elbows. I noticed that they kind of walk like me on ice. It was a lot of like shuffling kind of forward and backwards. Yeah, <laughs> so much shuffling, yeah. but in first position. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, <laughs> shuffling like, like like their knees are glued together. Yeah, I I definitely could see where she was trying to go with it. I liked the energy of it. I thought that was quite nice. But yeah, the formations were lacking. The levels were lacking. Mm -hmm. And the variety was lacking. There was like a steam heat spinoff homage <laughs> moment that really bothered me too. Because they were on roller skates and I was like, oh. You hate a, you hate an unearned homage. Yeah, like we didn't, exactly, we didn't earn that at <laughs> no, all. It's no. like, oh, we're doing Fosse now. Okay. We're doing Fosse after alienating the entire section of our audience who would like that. Yes, exactly. Like they've all turned it off now. That's you and I, and we're checked out at this point. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Fosse on wheels. I'd like to point out that we've evoked both Bob Fosse and Stephen Sondheim in our review of The Grinch. And I would love, love, love to see Bob Fosse and Stephen Sondheim's How the Grinch Stores. <laughs> But we'd need, like, Hal Prince to direct it and... Like, <laughs> Directed know. by Hal Prince? <laughs> like, just really completes the trifecta. Choreographed by Bob Fosse. Yeah. Composed by Stephen Sondheim. <laughs> <laughs> Starring Elaine Stritch as the Grinch. Oh, wow. Oh, oh that would have been so good. We, we, we've exited joke and into just actual something that would be good. Yeah, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> The wheels are turning. Okay, so out of 10 playbills, how many monkeys are you giving? Oh, wait, did we do it for direction? We didn't even do it for direction. Okay, can we put it together or do you need, feel they need to be separated? I feel they need to be separated and I'll tell you why. I'll give the ratings for both right now. Okay, 
Perfect. Direction gets 3 out of 10 because, like I mentioned, I think it's a little bit on the director to just assume the responsibility mm -hmm. for a joyless production like this. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> um, the choreo, I'm going to give 6 out of 10, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because at least something like the shuffling and the butts and the hips and the, um, the tied-together knees is a concrete artistic choice. Yes. And it's something that this production desperately needs is just someone to make a decision. Yep, I'm with you there. Completely. So what about you? Give your ratings for direction and choreo. So six for sure for choreo. And I wish I could give more, but yeah, we were just missing a couple of really simple choices that can elevate the movement. So six for choreo. That's as high a rating as you can give for choreo that wasn't actually fun to watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we saw what, what she was trying to do, and I think that's what we're exactly. really awarding here. <laughs> and then I'm going to say four, and I'll tell you why, for direction. Yeah. Because I think, because you said three, right? I did. I see your three, but I raise you a point, mainly <laughs> because I think this director spent so much time working to get Matthew Morrison to a place that was a semblance of the character of the Grinch that that merits an additional point for Max Webster's direction. That's what I believe. All right. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll accept that. Yep. <laughs> because we're going to get to Mr. Morrison in a second. Should we talk about the design? Let's talk about the design. There's some stuff I really liked about the design. Yeah. So the production design was by Peter... Bingeman. Lighting design was by Dave Davey. That's a real name. <laughs> and then the costume design was by Sutra Gilmore. And then I'm sure like a bazillion million assistants, but they don't yep. mention the assistants on the NBC webpage, which I actually thought was a little bit not great. That's kind of rude. Yeah. Assistants, we love you. Both Jill and I have done a lot of work as assistants. We'll continue to do a lot of work as assistants. Yep. Assistant work is so essential yep. and actually really fun. Some of the best times I've had in my life have been has been assistant work. Yeah, yeah. I enjoy doing that. So those are our um, designers. I like a lot about the set design mm -hmm. in that I like, um, there's a bunch of times when they reference the storybook, draw, like the drawings from the Dr. Seuss. Yes, they do. And that's cute. I like that a lot. I agree. I like it too. And they do that in the Broadway productions as well. Fantastic. Um, I think referencing that is a lot better than referencing the really shockingly bizarre and garish design of the Jim Carrey version, which is like this bizarre dystopian Whoville. It looks insane. I read somewhere that it looks like they all have the same like bad plastic surgeon. That's exactly what it is. Because <laughs> they all, all the Who's have this weird nose. The Who's look kind of messed up. Oh, it's such oh. a bizarre movie. I love it. I love it. And it's such a bizarre movie. All the Who's and the Grinch. Because the Grinch is like a mutated Who in this version. Oh, with um, two exceptions. So Christine Baranski has, is like one of the only who's that doesn't have this like really egregious fake plastic surgery thing going on. And Cindy Lou Who also doesn't have the, the fake nose as well. Is it because they kind of like look like who's already in their real life? Taylor Momsen, who plays Cindy Lou Who, does not. But I think it's okay. also a thing of like, we, like we as the audience are supposed to be like, ah, yes, Christine Baranski, you are hot. I can see why the Grinch is into you. And... <laughs> <laughs> Which is a thing. <laughs> Y'all are making me want to watch this movie now. I, I highly oh, recommend it. Oh, it's a trip it. and a half, Jill. Yeah. I need if, to see it. If this production is a nightmare fever dream that doesn't feel very good, that one's a friggin' like acid trip that you go on for eight hours and it feels great. 
So anyway, we like the set. We agree. Yeah, it's for like the best it. that they don't reference that movie. Yes. Costumes were fine. Matthew Morrison looked like the Grinch. That was cool. Yeah. I'd like to chime in with um what a uh, dear friend of the podcast, uh, Dora Carroll, had to say about some of the... Ooh. Dear friend. Actual friend. My favorite thing is that we... Cindy Luhu's design, mm-hmm. rather than being based off the original book, looks more like a troll doll. <laughs> <laughs> like, because she has very, like, stand, like, sticky-uppy pink hair mm-hmm. and just looks as, like, fake freckles and, like, pink cheeks and... Like, the Cindy Lou Who that we've come to know and love has these, like, iconic loopy braids, which are missing here. Right. Oh, I didn't notice because she was just so dang cute that I was like... She is very cute. I didn't even notice what she was wearing. She's very cute. Yeah. She's really good. Okay, well, let's wrap up the design, then we'll talk about her. Yeah, I thought the lighting was not good. There could have been so many cool things that they could have done, but... They just stuck to like this one scrim and then like a hanging light bulb. And that was it. Dear friend of the podcast, Ali Fulmick, um, who's going to be a guest in the near future, I'm sure. Yes. I want to point out one comment, which is that there was a lot of pink, right? Mm-hmm. And pink is on the opposite end of the color wheel from green. So that's a, a cute, a cute little thing that the lighting designer was doing of like, Whoville is the opposite of uh, Grinchtown. Right. I mean, obviously that didn't play. And the only thing that actually resonated for was actual lighting designers. I like that. That's cute. Does that maybe add a point to the lights for you? Yeah. <laughs> I can appreciate that choice. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that really got to me was the Grinch makeup. Because, and I don't know if this falls into performance. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. But I feel like the makeup... And all those, like, all the hair on his, like, eyebrows and head and stuff. Like, he couldn't use his face. Like, I felt like he didn't use his eyes at all because he was afraid, like, his eyebrows were going to fall off. So I don't know if that's, like, a makeup design flaw (laughs) or if he's just a bad actor. We will get to Sir Morrison in a second. (laughs) I promise. I think that also might be a weakness of the fact that this is a a staged version that got filmed because you don't have to play to a back row if the back row is like mm-hmm. just wherever the mm-hmm. camera is. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So that's a flaw. That's a flaw of the makeup, though. The makeup should have designed for the camera. Right. Okay. Well, design out of 10 playbills, how many monkeys would you give it, Jill? Uh, like a four? Yeah. I'm more generous than you. I'd say a five. Okay. I'm okay with it. I just really liked the set pieces, but I just didn't like the other stuff as much, so. Yeah. Let's talk about the performances. So before we talk about Mr. Morrison, I would like to give a special shout out to Medium Max. I thought that his performance of Changing My Major to Joan was incredible. And Older Max singing Telephone Wire brought me to tears. (laughs) (laughs) Even younger. (laughs) Really outstanding stuff. Uh, He's actually uh, Alison Bechtel's muse. Alison Bechtel's muse. Uh, (laughs) Sir Boo Boo Stewart. Boo Boo Stewart seems like a nice guy. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about performances that aren't Matthew Morrison. Yeah, so we know The Grinch was played by Matthew Morrison. Uh, We have Old Max, played by Dennis O'Hare, whom I'm sure you've seen in many a thing. He had a huge career. Uh, He's usually, I don't know, an FBI agent or a 
dad or a teacher or something. Totally. Southern vampire. And then um, young Max was Boo Boo Stewart, uh, whom you might know from the Twilight saga, I think. That's right. Yes, I saw that as well. And then Cindy Lou Who, Amelia Minto, brand new sweet baby angel. I would say outshines everyone. Yep, absolutely. Easily the best part of this. Yeah. And then there were a bunch of ensemble characters, some some featured Who villains, um, a Who family. Um, and Joe Allen was like, so Joe Allen played Who 1 and then Francesca Mills played Who 2. Right. And they're kind of like these the super featured Who's. Yeah, they do the steam heat number. <laughs> do they ever? And I like them a lot. They're kind of... They've kind of got this really clowny thing going on. They seem like a, I didn't, um, I didn't look them up, but if I had to guess, they're a clown duo in real life. Oh. Like that was just my take. You that know what? Like I, I like got. them. I like them too. Yeah. yeah. This is what I'm saying. It was super the vibe I got off them. Yeah. 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 I think they're both West End actors. I think yeah, most totally. of the Who's uh, are West End actors and you could really see the polish in their performances. I agree. Versus maybe some of the other more, um, TV and film focused actors. I agree. Yeah. Okay. I just need to bring one thing up really quick. Please do. So I was reading that NBC website for credits to yep. see who was who. <laughs> who was who. And I noticed that huge red flag. Matthew Morrison was also a producer on this. Oh no. That's fun. <laughs> That's an enormous red flag. Yeah, that was such a red flag when I saw it. I was like, oh, I see what yeah. this is. Like, I, I see now what you're doing here. So let's talk about Matthew J. Morrison. Is that his middle initial? I have no idea. <laughs> Matthew Elizabeth Morrison. Elizabeth? <laughs> That's the one of the, my favorite jokes in that musical. It's so good. You and Matt, Matt, Matt Morrison have a, have a history, hey, Jill? Oh, do we ever. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw him on Broadway in Finding Neverland. Oh, no. Yeah, oh, no, is right. Do you want to just close your eyes and imagine him doing like a Scottish, like a Glasgow accent for two and a half hours? <laughs> it's exactly what you think it sounds like. Doing a take on Johnny Depp in Finding Neverland, who's oh, already gosh, a problem. It's just... <laughs> anyway, so I already super don't appreciate him as a performer that sounds so mean but i just well did you did did you watch glee no i didn't so and you never watched glee so your experience with matthew morrison is finding neverland and like the original broadway light in the piazza which he's pretty good in yeah the other thing i know matthew morrison from is my friend sarah lipinski she sent me a video because she when she found out we were going to be talking about this she sent me a video of Matthew Morrison on Glee doing the thong song. Oh, God. Yeah. So there's that also. My virtually my only experience with Matthew Morrison is Glee. Other than like OBC Light in the Piazza and OBC Hairspray. Right. Oh, yes, of course. Mm-hmm. So my, but my only significant experience with him is Glee. And I think like a lot of people, I, for five or six episodes, thought that Glee was just the coolest thing I'd ever seen when it first dropped. Okay. Like I thought that Ryan Murphy's voice was really exciting mm -hmm. and fun and this was this really this tv show with a really cynical biting edge but that also really embraced both musical theater culture and band nerd culture in a really fun way okay and it very quickly went severely off the rails for me at least <laughs> and i had trouble watching past the first season right and i think that matthew morrison 
is one of, one of many reasons for that, is a big reason for that. And I think he's insufferable as a performer and he seems smug and annoying Ugh. and I don't like him. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> <laughs> Which you would think would all be like wonderful qualities to bring to the performance of the Grinch, but the issue is he doesn't even know he's those things or that we see him as as those things. So he thinks it's like, oh, the Grinch is such a stretch for me because I'm so charismatic and fun. Yeah. And nice. But and it's handsome. like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. My theory is that it's a very simple thing. Matthew Morrison is not funny. Yep. He's not a funny man. And at the end of the day, the Grinch has got to be funny. Yep. This is the reason when we describe the disaster that is the 2000 Jim Carrey, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. It is undeniably a disaster, but it's so watchable. It's so good. Mm. And that's almost exclusively because Jim Carrey is so funny now i really want to see this movie i really can't I, w- I want you to see it i want you to live text me as you're watching it oh, okay cool yeah every listener who hasn't seen it please do the same thing my number is quick editor's note paul de was reprimanded sharply for living giving up personal information on the <laughs> yeah. podcast <laughs> <laughs> because it is Jim Carrey is outstanding in a otherwise sensational disaster of a movie. And it saves the movie single-handedly. And Matthew Morrison is not funny in this. And it single-handedly sinks the ship. 110%. It was most obvious to me in that number, in the one-of-a-kind number, where I'm like, man, it would be nice to have someone who like had a bit of a like old-school vaudeville edge, maybe some improv background. Yes. Like someone who's well-versed enough in crowd work that they can do crowd work without a crowd. Matthew Morrison (laughs) is not that person. The other thing they mentioned in the Broadway production, he does that number in front of a green, like glittering scrim. Oh, sure. And I'm like, oh, where was that? Yeah. Where was that in this NBC production? Like, why does he have to do it in his bedroom? Totally, right? In this weird lair set that's kind of meh. His lair. Yeah. It's <laughs> true. Yeah. I, I like that you yeah. you went to bedroom specifically is pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just felt like he was just like, oh, I don't know. He was just in bed doing this whole show. It almost feels unfair to attach all the other performances to Matthew Morrison, but those are the rules. We don't make them. We just follow them. Yeah. Out of 10 playbills, how many monkeys would you give the performances, Jill? Uh, it's a little all over the map, but if I had to, to make a choice, I would say three. Oof. And that includes my extra point for Cindy Lou Who being adorable. Wow. That is a harsh, harsh rating. Yeah. I was going to say five with Matthew Morrison coming in at a three, but adding one for... Ensemble members who I have endless love for Mm -hmm. and one for Cindy Lou Who being the most adorable thing I've ever seen. I think I just have the worst taste in my mouth. I don't know if it's this Kahlua coffee or Matthew Morrison. (laughs) I can't decide. (laughs) It's never going to leave me the end. Jillian Willems. Mm -hmm. Should this be a musical? No, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I... Like, we don't need it. We don't need it. You don't even think a 45-minute musical adaptation of The Grinch Stole Christmas is worth existing? No, I don't want it. Fair enough. Let it exist only as the TV special. And a book. Can we just have have the book? Can we just have the, the animated special? Period. The end. And make a new Christmas musical. Yes. Like, there are Christmas musicals that exist already. We've got Holiday Inn. We've got White Christmas. 
Yeah. Well, well now we have Elf. I was going to say, I was going to bring up Elf. Elf is surprisingly nice. I actually don't know much about it. I've seen the movie. Is it similar? See, it's very similar to the movie. It's got a lot of the same, um, hits a lot of the same beats. Nicer, nicer music than this for sure. I think it would have made a nicer special. Okay. See, there we go. Now we're thinking. Absolutely. Anyway, I just don't feel like having this Grinch musical is going to be the thing that people talk about forever and ever. Like, I don't think people are, children aren't leaving that theater going, I can't wait to see this again next year. Absolutely. I don't know. That's my feeling. And I, and I just, I'm so nostalgic for this, for this book by Dr. Seuss, for this animated special. I just don't want it to be touched by anyone else. I'm inclined to agree. I think that it is not enhanced in any way by making this a hour and a half long musical. There, It doesn't add anything that isn't more charmingly done in the original uh, animated series. Mm-hmm. So I'm inclined to say, no, this doesn't need to be a musical. Boom. There we go. I think that's the first time we've ever said that. It's the first time we've agreed on it. I said it about Big Fish, but I don't think you agreed. No, I, I didn't agree, Yeah, I guess. So yay, we're on the same page. Good for us. So we got some incredible listener comments during and after watching this show. Some of them Jill and I have heard already. Some of them Producer Daph has saved specifically for this moment. Mm-hmm. And I'm very eager to hear them. All right. Hello, everyone. This is Daphne. I get my own segment. Oh, my God. Yay. <laughs> so ever since um, dear friend of the podcast, uh, Daphne's mom, my mom, uh, found out that we were doing this, uh, she's been sending me articles about about the show. And the the headlines alone have just been have just been delightful. Uh, mostly just everyone kind of collectively throwing their hands up and going, why? What? Why? Why? Yeah. <laughs> A personal favorite of mine was one where where Matthew Morrison mentioned his influences from Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, which <laughs> got a really big why from from me as yeah. a, as a hearty fan of of that little that little film. Um, yeah. Did he? <laughs> my mom has also been messaging me, just saying like. I, I recognize no Grinch but Boris Karloff, no Grinch but the OG, so yeah. she's mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. very adamantly opposed to this entire production existing. Yeah. So this was actually really nice because we actually get to ha- got to have the experience of watching this show along along with some of our listeners at the same time, which was delightful. Yes, I loved that. Yep. And and so I have just a wonderful array of live reactions, including yes. But why? And barf emoji. <laughs> and I was so uncomfortable, I turned it off after the first two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and just a lot of confusion about certain certain things that just kind of seem to come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Like, at one point when Media Max and Big Max, uh, Boo Boo Stewart and Dennis O'Hare are dancing on the stage at the same time... <laughs> We just don't understand why these two timelines are overlapping and intersecting. Like some bizarre rift in the. It's 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 into the Grinch verse over here, and it's it's very confusing. Multiple comments about the the terrible terrible spot ops and just Aww, yeah. what a horrible job they were doing. Like they were just not hitting their cues to save their lives. I love hearing those types of comments though, because those are things I I probably wouldn't have noticed. Like. Yeah. Those little tidbits from the perspective of um, very, very gifted um, technicians and artists. And I just, nothing that I am ever fully aware of. And 
like more comments about just the the things that get added, like like fart jokes mm-hmm. and. I don't need to see hear the Grinch use the word hashtag. That just makes me so uncomfortable. Yeah. Or Emmy. The Emmy moment. Oh, yeah. And my personal favorite set of messages we got, though, aside from the ones about my mom, um, were from, again, friend of the podcast, Dora Carroll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Comparing and contrasting this production to the one that she recently directed um, with a bunch of high school students, Go Lions, where she basically just talks about how... Gr- annoyed she is that with this scale of budget and this amount of time and money that her set painted by a bunch of 12th graders looks better than the professional production yep it's egregious (sighs) the fact that their seuss land looks looks better than this real talk the overwhelming sentiment expressed by our listeners is why why dear god why barf emoji It is incredible to hear from our listeners. The whole point of this podcast is to recreate the feeling of the parties that we used to have pre-pandemic times in this weird Mm post-pandemic world. And so it makes, it definitely warms my heart a little bit, makes my heart grow three sizes to hear from all of our dear friends and imagine (laughs) we're all making these comments in the living room together at some point. That's such a great way to put it. Thanks for sharing that, Daphne, and for being on the receiving end of those communications. (laughs) (laughs) It's just really nice to not feel so alone while I'm watching this happen. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh, totally. That might be the final note before we get to flop, bop, or make it stop, is that after we finished this on Wednesday night, I just kind of felt sad when I went to bed. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I was like, oh, I guess I'll just go read now. I'm just going to go read a book. This was an emotionally taxing experience. It It really was. And I think I ran out of wine. Like, I think, I feel like I didn't have any wine left. And so I was like, oh, just so sad. And like, "Mm." we had mulled wine over at our place. We'd made mulled wine special for the event. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it was the best part of the evening for sure. Honestly, if I would have known what we were getting ourselves into, I would have stocked up. (laughs) Shall we flop bop or make it stop? Jillian, is this Deuce, Seuss, or it's God of Vamoose? (laughs) Why did you surprise me with that? Were you scheming about this? (laughs) I blindsided you. Yeah, this is a big scheme. (laughs) Can you tell our listeners what this part of the show is really about? Is it a flop? Did it not do so well? And that's understandable. Is it actually a secret bop? Is it actually a great show that didn't do well for a variety of contextual reasons? Or do we need to make it stop? Is this a disaster? So in this case, deuce, as in it's a pile of poop. Seuss, as in it measures up to the original Dr. Seuss. Or (laughs) it's got a vamoose, as in get it on out of here. Okay, so what I'll say, I'm really thrilled that you surprised me with that. But what I'll say is that's already better than the whole script for the musical. So good job. I love a rhyme. I'm sorry. (laughs) I will say vamoose. Bye. Yeah, I want none of that. We don't need it. I'll I'll say it until the end of my days. I agree wholeheartedly. I feel like I was the easiest audience (laughs) on Wednesday night. I just wanted to see some people sing well. I wanted to see some people get thrown in the air. I'm desperate yeah. for theater at this point i did not have fun watching this even though i am so hungry to see something that i love mm-hmm. means that it's god of amus no questions no questions wow 
Did we unpack all of that? We did it. Oh. We did it. Thank you for all tuning in. We're going to take a short Christmas hiatus. Yay. I mean, not yay. I know some of you are pretty disappointed in that. Well, the good news is we're not taking a hiatus from interacting with the people listening to this show. Exactly. If you can think of things you want us to cover, if you want to um, talk about these shows with us at any point, if you're interested in reopening the conversation about any show we've covered so far, please let us know. Mm -hmm. We would sincerely love to. We miss you all so much. Everyone have a safe and happy holiday season. We will be back with a fresh episode on January 13th. So watch your podcast pages for that. And watch our social media for which episode we're going to be covering. We'll drop it soon. Yay. Thanks, everyone. Bye now. Hi, everyone. This is producer Daphne speaking. Thank you all so much for listening to Monkeys and Playbills, the show where we take a look at Broadway musicals that had 100 performances or fewer before closing. To learn more about the show, you can follow us on Instagram at monkeysandplaybillspod, on Twitter at monkeyplaybills, or email us at monkeysandplaybillspod at gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash monkeysandplaybills. Monkeys and Playbills is proud to be a Village Conservatory for Music Theatre podcast. Original music for the show is provided by Paul DeGers, and the show is produced and edited by Daphne Finlayson. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you on January 13th.